0: We are going to embark on a trip or a journey through the book of Nehemiah. If you want to turn there, if you open your Bible right in the middle, it'll probably be around Psalms. If it's Isaiah or Proverbs, go to Psalms, then you go to Job, Esther, and you'll be at Nehemiah. I hope you have your Bible because I don't have all the verses up here, but I'm expecting you to read them with me as we go. There's several reasons we landed on Nehemiah, it's going to be a four-week series, and, and, but one of the reasons is because of this phrase in Nehemiah that jumps out at you, and just kind of inspires us, and it's this phrase in chapter 2, it says, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work, Nehemiah 2.17. We want to, as we embark on the building project in the natural, we know from Nehemiah um, that God is, is as concerned about the spiritual of his family as he is about the natural. And So in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to learn um, through the lessons of Nehemiah about what God wants to do in our hearts as we embark in this project in the natural. And I want to spend a little time, but I I need to set up the context of Nehemiah a little bit about the history so we can glean from this book. And I want to talk about reading the Old Testament first. Three things about reading the Old Testament. I could tell you 10 reasons, but I'm just going to tell you three reasons why it's important you read the Old Testament. First of all, the Old Testament is the foundation for everything we believe in the New Testament. It talks about a man that God chooses to start unveiling who he is in Abraham. And then through Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel, he builds a relationship. His whole desire is to begin unveiling to mankind after they sinned in the garden his faithfulness and his goodness to a people group that he calls his own, the nation of Israel. We know the promises in the Old Testament towards the nation of Israel and the land of Israel have not fully been fulfilled, and they will be fulfilled. There will be a day when Jesus will come back as the King of Jews, and he will come through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And so the destiny of Israel is tied to our destiny as grafted in believers Gentiles who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there will be a day when all of the Jews, the Israels that are living, will be in Jerusalem, the Bible says, will be gathered back. They will make aliyah, and Jesus will be received as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's important for us to understand that we're part of the storyline of God as Gentile believers And to understand what happens with Israel, because Israel, God gave conditional promises. If you will worship me, if you will obey me, I will bless you and you will expand your nation. And if you do not, there will be consequences. If you worship other nations' idols and gods, if you disobey me and rebel against me, there will be consequences. And other nations will come against you and will overtake you, and you will be scattered which happened many times over. And in this particular book, we're in the middle of one of those times. And I'll just give you an example, Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. This is what the Lord says as they've been scattered. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, and will gather you from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. This storyline is a storyline to be an example. In Romans, the second reason that we read the Old Testament is Romans fifteen four It says, Now these things happened to the Israelites as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So we know that we're part of the storyline that actually is connected to Israel. We know that the stories in the Old Testament are examples for us to glean from, to learn from. The third reason is because first the natural and then the spiritual if you can read the Old Testament understanding that these nations who are fighting each other are not how we are to operate today, I'm patriotic to the United States of America and I pray for America and I care about America, but I'm not, I don't have an allegiance to expanding the territory of America. I have an allegiance to the government of God, I have allegiance to expanding. The kingdom of God is way stronger and way more important than my allegiance to advancing the cause of America. Both are important. But the spiritual is more important because it's eternal. In the Old Testament, the Lord actually instructs Israel to destroy nations because of their evil and their darkness. And for us, we go, it's hard for us to figure out. But before the cross, there was no redemption available for those nations. So he said, destroy them. We don't destroy nations anymore. We're to destroy the powers of darkness. First the natural, then the spiritual. So the Old Testament is natural pictures of what is happening in the unseen realm, in the spiritual realm that we walk in now. We are to be at war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Are you with me? So when you read the Old Testament, you actually are in the process. Okay, so what does that mean in the spiritual So as we go into the book of Nehemiah, this is something that's important. Jesus just encouraged you this morning. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. So we are in the process of extending the kingdom of God by overcoming the powers of darkness, of evil and demonic. Amen? Amen. You're commissioned for that through the the victory of the cross and Jesus Christ. Now, I want... Actually, I, I like this statement. I have a picture back here that this reminded me of, It says, you, that Israel reminds me of. It says, you are free to choose, but you are not free from the consequence of your choice. And that's what you learn, really, from the Old Testament. Now, if you could put up that chart, I'm going to see if I can get this to... Okay, real quick, I want to just do a history. Right here is the book of Nehemiah. Okay, Nehemiah follows a 70-year Jewish captivity. This is when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire took over. They invaded Jerusalem and, and Judea and Israel. And they took the Jews captives because they rebelled against God. They weren't following God and says, God, okay, here's your consequences. The enemies are going to prevail against you. And so 70-year captivity under the Babylonian Captivity. Anyway, you see it down the left. All right? And then we have the book of Ezra. Because what happened is Persia came over and overcame Babylon. And now Persia is ruling. The empire of Persia. And King Cyrus is sympathetic to the Jews. And so he gives a decree, an edict. and says the Jews are free to go back to Judea and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so a bunch of them go. Okay, so... And this is, a, this is about 600 B.C. that Daniel, and this happens to Daniel, the book of Daniel. And this is 539 B.C. Of course, these are approximate numbers. And, uh, and so they release a bunch of the Jews, go back to Judea and Jerusalem, start working on the temple. Every time you put your hands to a work of God, you can expect opposition. The enemy does not want God's people to succeed. And, but, so this took a long time, and about in the middle of this, there is a conspiracy against the Jews by Haman, and Haman has a plan to, get, to turn the heart of the king against the Jews, and this is the book of Esther. Esther is raised up, such a time as this, you guys know that, and appeals for the Jews, and, and he gives mercy, and Haman gets hung. I like it when the bad guys lose. All right, but this is a long time here a lot of years here, Ezra actually comes in the picture somewhere here, he's still in the picture of Nehemiah, and so here we come to the book of Nehemiah, um, the temple is built now, and Nehemiah um, is a cupbearer, he's a cupbearer to the king, I have a hard time saying this name, King Ar- Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, it's got a couple X's, I'm not going to say it anymore, I'm just going to call it the king, okay? He's a cupbearer to the king, and a cupbearer is the most entrusted person in his, his royalty because the cupbearer is the one that protects him from being poisoned. And so he is to make sure the wine is okay. And of course, if the cupbearer drinks poisoned wine, they've got to get a new cupbearer. But Nehemiah is that cupbearer, and he has favor. This book has so much we could study. Nehemiah is an incredible lesson on prayer and intercession, he's a prayer warrior. He's an, a military man. He's an engineer. This guy is pretty incredible. But what I love most about Nehemiah say this after me tender hearted. Nehemiah is tender hearted for the things of God and the purposes of, of God. And so, 444 B.C., this is about when this happens. You can also, by the way, in that timeline, you see that Malachi is speaking. The last book of the Bible, Malachi, is speaking during this time of the book of Nehemiah is written. So, some of the lessons we may go to is what Malachi is talking about and prophesying over the people of Israel at that time. So, we're going to start Nehemiah 1. And I'm going to jump pretty quickly here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekiah... Now it happened in the month, Chislov, in the 20th, near, when I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, so one of his brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. Verse 3, I have this on overhead. They said it to me, the remnant There, in the province, who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness of those who love him and keep his commandments, He goes on in his prayer, verse 6. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel. I'm not going to keep going. Nehemiah ends up brokenhearted. Now, you have to understand, Nehemiah was born in captivity. He had never been to Judah, but he had raised with Jewish tradition. And he cared about the purposes of God. He cared about the people of God. He cared about the promises of God. And they were close to his heart over the destiny of Israel. And he ends in a place of mourning and weeping. Four months he's in prayer and fasting. And he asks the Lord to give him favor with the king. And finally he goes to the king and the king sees him. And you're not supposed to ever be sad in the king's presence. So he had to Seemed joyful, but he kind of lost the mask, and the king says, why are you sad? And he says, how can I be joyful when my city, the capital of my city, is in ruins? The king gives him favor, and the king says, well, what is it you need? And he says, can I go? Can I go back? I would like to rebuild the walls of my city. I want to show you some pictures real quick here of Jerusalem now. Brendan and I had the privilege of being there a few years back. And uh, you, can see, you can see the walls. The walls determined the authority and the power of the city. If the walls were not strong, then the enemy could invade. And people within the city were not safe. These are the walls that were rebuilt about 1100 to 1500 AD by the Ottoman Empire. As you can see... Muslims held this for a while and still have in their minds a right to it. That's the Dome of the Rock, and they worship there in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. This is the old city of David here. That Dome of the Rock is actually on top of what they believe is the Temple Mount. I want you to show the next picture. Here are the walls, and you you can walk along the walls, and you can see the rubble. And the rubbish of past walls, all the way around, you can see where there used to be walls and the rocks. And some of them are cut stone, some of them are just round stone. But there's rubble, all the places where the walls have been broken down, then rebuilt, broken down and rebuilt. The walls were very important to the destiny of a city and the people that lived there. And here's a kind of a picture of what you can imagine. I didn't have anything better than that, so pretend. But that's what it looked like in his mind as he thought about Jerusalem. There was not much worship going on there because it wasn't safe to bring the sacrifices in there. And, and Jerusalem was a, a ruined and a reproach to God. And it just hurt him hard. Nehemiah convinces the king to let him go. And the king says, I'm going to let you go. And what do, I, what do you need? He, Nehemiah says, well, I need something that says that you're with me on this. And so and I need protection. So he sends a guard with Nehemiah. He sends a letter that says the resources of the land and some of the forests are available for him to actually rebuild the rubble." And so he has the king's endorsement that he had so much favor with the king that the king says, "When will you be back?" Another, I, "I want you back, Nehemiah. It tells you about the integrity and character of Nehemiah. And so, four months, he's fast prairie, he gets sent off, and it's about 600 or 800 miles, depending on biblical scholars, how far that is, that's over twice as far as it is from here to Fairbanks, so that's how far, quite a trek by foot. And uh, he gets there, and he does an assessment, he walks around, if you you go back and read this, but he walks around, and he, he assesses the damage, he assesses the rubbish and the rubble, and he comes up with a plan, and he gathers the people of Judah, the Jews that are living in that area and surrounding areas. And this is what he says, chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And then they said, let us arise and build. And so they put their hands to the good work. Ah, I love that. In one accord, all these people said, yes, we're ready to go after this. Under the leadership and courage of of Nehemiah, they actually build the walls, complete the walls in 52 days, which was an incredible feat. Now, a lot of people refer to Nehemiah as an example of the Holy Spirit. The name Nehemiah actually means Yahweh comforts. Who is our comforter in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. And so this illustration of what we're seeing, part of the things is when the Holy Spirit is empowering His people, things get done. Things get done. And in this place, Nehemiah is leading, and he is, is, for some people, in 52 days, a picture of the Holy Spirit working. There's another reality that we have to understand, and that is anytime people, God's people, put their hands to a good work, a great work for God. Turn to your neighbor, let's do a great work for God. Let's do it. do it. Say it again. to Let's do a great work for God. Anytime God's people say, let's do a great work for God, and puts their hand to the plow, there's going to be opposition. There is going to be resistance. Bill Johnson says, if you don't have opposition, if you don't have resistance, then you better check your direction. You might be going the same direction as the devil. And so anytime there is a, a, a movement on earth towards the things of advancing the kingdom of God, the government of God, there is going to be a resistance. And there is resistance all the way through them building the wall. We find it verse 19, chapter 2. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we are his servants. We, his servants, will rise and build, but you have no portion, right, a memorial in Jerusalem. Most Bible scholars agree that Sambalat and Tobiah actually were Jews, but they did not have the heart of God. Do you know there are a lot of Jews today that do not have the heart of God? Most of Israel is secular in mindset. And these Jews, Sambala and Toby, actually become a resistance as, as well as others, Arabs and others. They actually recruit opposition against them. And so we, all the way through, we find opposition. And, and one of the fun things to do is to study all the strategies of, of Nehemiah in opposing, of having victory, even in the midst of uh, the opposition. Chapter 3 is my most inspiring book of this whole thing. Well... There's a couple of others. I really like chapter 8 too. I like chapter 6 when it says they finished the wall and the enemies found themselves discouraged. I like that one. Verse 15. But this one is a whole story. It's one of those chapters that you go right by really fast because it's names after names after, names after 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 names. But basically, what it says, you got here, then Elisha, the high priest, that means the high priest was not a professional stone layer, he was a priest. But he rolled up his sleeves. He says, I'm getting involved. So the high priest arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the men men of Jericho built. Jericho is probably by a walk is about a two-day, day-and-a-half trek is how far they'd have to walk from Jericho to, to be there. Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Emory built, and next to them, and then next to them, and after them, and next to them. Let's just get this illustrated. Why don't you stand up? Pat and Claudia, stand up. Josh, well, stand up. Marla, Scott, Marianne, stand up. Brenda, get in here. Come on, baby. you got family, shoulder to shoulder, doing a great work for God. Shoulder to shoulder. And we're going to find out in a minute. It says they put them families by families. How many of you know you fight harder when you're fighting with family and for families? Huh? How many of you know that you get a whole lot more courageous when you're fighting family shoulder to shoulder? The destiny of your kids. The destiny of your grandkids. Brendan and I have fought many wars over these two kids. We're just getting to know Josh and Noel, but we're going to fight with you for your destiny and your children's destiny, and I prophesy that. Yeah. Fought a lot of wars with Marla, <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. Scott and Marianne and their kids, and Marla and Jim and their kids. This is what's going on in this picture. People coming together, shoulder to shoulder, doing a great work for God, fighting for the destiny of a people. Thank you, guys. It's inspiring. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's inspiring. Come on. There's something so, so beautiful and fun about doing something together with one heart in one accord. In fact, the enemy knows that when it's one heart, one accord, that the unity actually attracts the anointing. It actually, Psalm 133, it tracks the anointing, the power of God, unity, oneness, one accord, doing a great work to God, hearts connected, moving, advancing the things of God, Let's jump forward, verse 6 of chapter 4. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and you notice there, the enemy is gathering gathering forces. The Ammonites and the Ash- Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed. Say Breaches. Began to be closed. They were very angry, and all of them conspired to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Jump to verses 10 and 12. What's Nehemiah's strategy? Well, let's let's talk about first I want to hit 10 and 12. For, uh, he says, The Jews who lived near the enemy's camp spoke. Let me jump there. Four verse ten. And then Judah, Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is falling. So there's Jews who are in the land who are not engaged. And they bring a fear-based report. The strength of the burden bearers is falling, yet there is much rubbish. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemy said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to them. Now, when the Jews who lived near the camp had told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you have to turn. And then I, then I station men. Here's what I want you to know. Whenever there's a great work started by God, the enemy is going to bring all kinds of reasons why it can't happen. And it usually is going to come to people who aren't engaged. Wow. Good word. And then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. They learned how to do war and build the walls at the same time. And when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your houses." Okay, Here's I want to apply this. We're going to actually have communion over this. What are the walls represented of for us? What are the walls? It's our relationships. Our relationships protect the fire, the presence of God, or actually grieve wow. the Holy Spirit. In the presence of God. It's us making a decision. A choice. Actually 1 Peter 2.5 says. We are living stones. Being built together. Into a spiritual. House. One of my dreams is Ephesians two nineteen 19 and 20. I love this passage. It's my prayer, Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 2. I pray this over you guys and over this church all the time. Verses 19. So then you no longer stranger and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I've preached on this several times, and just to remind you, the idea of being fitted is the idea of being joined together. Anybody ever use a joiner? So the two pieces of wood actually fit so close, you can hardly tell they're two pieces of wood. Another reference of this idea of being fitted together is the idea of being joints. How many of you know your elbow connects my, my bicep to my forearm? I, if I didn't have my elbow, my forearm would have no use. You and I are members of one another, with what Romans chapter 12 says, verse 5. We are members of one another, body and in Christ, individually. And we're being built, which is the idea of nailed together. It's the idea of actually fastened, like with a screw gun. We are built together to be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit of God. How many of you know the enemy wants you to be divided from your brothers and sisters at Northgate? He's working overtime because there's a great work ahead of us, and he's working overtime. With accusations to try to divide people in the body of Christ. Not just at Northgate. Every church in the valley. It's his number one strategy. is through accusation and lies. is to divide the body of Christ. But it's God's word that we would be built together, that there's 28 one another's in Scripture, that we're to bear one another's burdens, we're to pray for one another, we're to encourage one another, we're to to, uh, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, we're to accept one another as Christ accepted us, we're to greet one another with a holy case. We don't ever do that. Well, sometimes. I do my wife. We are supposed to be so connected as a people. And the enemy works hard to keep us disconnected. We're not to judge one another. We're not to complain against one another. We're to forgive one another as Christ forgave the church. Ushers, you can go ahead and get sacraments ready. Here's the deal, you guys. How many would agree with me that family life is rewarding? Go ahead and pass. But family life is hard. Three. How many how many of you would agree that marriage is challenging? Oh, we're doing better. <laughs> we're doing better. And and how many times are you supposed to forgive your spouse? This is the tenth time. How many times are you supposed to forgive your parents? How many times are you supposed to forgive your kids? How many times are you supposed to forgive one another? You don't quit. You don't quit. How many have been hurt in the church? How many have been disappointed in the church? How many have been let down by leaders Is there anywhere in the scriptures that says, okay, you can quit? Is there anywhere in the scriptures that says, okay, quit bringing your strengths, quit bringing your gifts, quit bringing your ties, if, if you know, if they just don't, if they, if they offend you, if they hurt you, if they disappoint you, if they let you down, is there anywhere that gives us an out in the scriptures? If there is, please show me. I don't see any out. I'm stuck. And so are you. And you either engage with your whole heart or you guard your heart. And you become someone who is liable to hear the accusations of the enemy against the church. It's your choice. And you will reap the consequences. You will reap the consequences. We each get a choice. What are we going to do? 1 Peter four eight. Peter says, above all, everybody say above all. Above all, keep fervent in your love for the brethren. For love covers a what? A A multitude of sins. What the world is to look at when they look at the church is not perfect people who make get all the right things done in relationships, but are people who forgive, 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 and love, and love, and love, and accept, and accept, and accept, and encourage, and encourage, and encourage, and fight, and fight, and fight for each other's destiny. That's what I see the body of Christ be known for, by your love. All men will know that you're my disciples. Now there's, I'm going to just be 100% transparent here. There is a lot of times we get stepped on in church. I can tell you right now as a pastor, there are a lot of times when pastors get stepped on. And I get to choose. Will I guard my heart? Sometimes I fall into the trap. I get to choose every day. Will I guard my heart? If I guard my heart, what does that mean? I don't love well. To the extent that I love, to that extent, I'm available to be heard again. Each person gets to choose, but Jesus is the model. And he went all the way to the cross because of love. When I'm talking about Northgate's future, I'm talking about a group of people who are all in. They were 100% engaged, who no longer guarding their hearts, no longer looking from a distance, not close to the enemy's camp, and believing in the future of a people. When Chris Valentin spoke the word to me in June, one of the things he said that really encouraged me, he said, the former things have come to pass. Behold, it's a new day. I speak new things to you. And so for me, it gave me permission and actually encouraged me to say, okay, the things that we've messed up or I've messed up, is over, it's under the blood, we've got a new start. That's what the prophet spoke to me. And and Northgate is an incredible body of Christ, but we've had our bumps and our bruises. Some of you are newer to us, and you're not aware of those, but we've had our bumps, and we've had our bruises, and we've had our missteps. But you have a choice. Do you obey the Lord and his commandments, or do you choose to distance yourself? And be close to the enemy's camp. It's your choice. It's my choice. Northgate is building a structure for people to get close to one another. It's beautiful. Mariah and Amberly and Marla, Carla, others, Gabe, building places where people can engage and build relationships and become discipled and disciple others. We have things going on like this Friday night a women's feast is for women to get together encourage one another do the reciprocal commands with one another pray for one another carry one another's burdens we have the opportunity for men's breakfast that next morning I'm asking you to engage if you want to do a great work for God engage if it's not this body find a body that you can engage I hope it's this one I want you here but to obey the Lord, you can't do it half-heartedly. You have to engage. you got to believe. you got to forgive. you got to let the past be the past and move forward. Northgate's ready to move forward. We have an ownership community. It's a beautiful thing. This morning, a group of us, 30 of us back there at 8 o'clock a.m., And we're praying together, and we come in and we set up the chairs, and we're going to be here afterwards and take down the chairs, and we're going to serve the body of Christ. And every week there's another ownership community, and it's not just serving. We get to go back later and, and be discipled and disciple one another. A pastor asked me a few years back, he said, Dennis, my kids are really struggling coming to church. And I don't know what to tell them. They were in middle school. And, and um, how come your kids all came to church? All I've known them, they've come to church. they never seemed to struggle with church. And I said, because we never gave them the choice, number one. Number two is because we're family. And that's our family. And we serve our family. We engage with our family. We build with our family. And my kids knew they were coming to do family. You fight for your family. You don't come and tend. You fight for one another. I said, teach your kids to fight for the church. A year later, he came back, and he said, it's made all the difference in the world. My kids now go to church, and they want to go to church because they know they've got something to contribute. We have Steve Backlund coming, and out of Steve Backlund, we have discipleship opportunities. All this, you can sign up in the back. After Steve Backlund, there's going to be six to eight weeks of disciple groups coming together and growing in what Steve brings us, and some of the materials, igniting faith. And you'll be put in small groups if you choose to engage. You'll be put in small groups, and you'll be encouraged one another and gleaning from one another and having strength being spoken into your life as you speak strength into other people's lives. Ephesians 4:32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. There are some people who are new to our church, and, and they've come from other churches. And uh, I don't know if there's any here in this service. There will be in a second hour. But, but there's history in the church that hurts. Uh, for you. There's leaders that maybe have let you down. There are people maybe have, have, have just sinned against you. and I just want you to know this is the remedy, the cross, because He carried your sorrows. You may have a hurt, a broken place from church life, that you need healed. Jesus has already prayed the price, not only for the sin committed against you, but for your healing. And you can be healed of the past hurts that you have had in the church. The cross is the remedy for that. So let's stand together. Let's rebuild the walls. If there needs to be rebuilt in your life, let's rebuild the walls. Let's build the walls. There's no more breaches. If there needs to be forgiveness, if you need to talk to somebody, talk to them. If you need to talk to me, please. I had a couple come to me just recently and share their hurts and their challenges, and we're reconnecting hearts and talking about the things that caused them frustration or whatever. And talk to one another about those things. Don't, don't ignore them. Build the breaches back, okay? The church is the most beautiful organization on the earth. And he, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will shudder and not prevail. So let's remember the Lord's sacrifice and forgiveness on the cross. Father, we stand before your throne of grace. And I'm asking in this room that uh, that we have an opportunity to make a choice to either be fully engaged with Northgate or ask for help for the steps that need to be taken to move that way. And I pray that you would heal hurt, you will heal past things that have happened. Father, I pray, I pray God that those of us who have been hurt, like myself, would choose not to guard my heart or protect my heart, but to fervently love the brethren. Thank you for the cross that makes that possible. Let's remember his sacrifice together. When I think about the blood, all I think about is being redeemed like a bride of Christ and the party of a celebration of a wedding. Um, There's going to be a day when every sacrifice you make for the body of Christ will be recognized, I believe, before the Lord. And there's going to be a wedding feast, and we will be joined with the Lord Jesus, as with all the redeemed of Israel who choose to believe in the Lord Jesus, and all of the church across this valley and the planet, and it's going to be a party. Every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be represented, and all of our labor for Him is going to be recognized, and it's going to be a blast. To the blast. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I want to uh, encourage you, if you haven't signed up for Steve Backlund Conference, this is part of our discipleship plan. You can sign up back there. Uh, There's also Grow Tribes you can sign up for, um, but I'm encouraging you to engage And uh, we're going to become, we already are, but we're going to become even a greater, amazing body of Christ. All people said? Amen. 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 Have a great day if you need prayer.